most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, April 21st, 2021, the 456th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. And hey, let's kick off the show by giving some credit to the great American hero, Mike Lindell, and his great American company, MyPillow. And I would love to thank MyPillow for helping to support the show. And I would love to thank you for helping to support the show. But if you want to support the show in another way and get some really comfortable stuff for your house and support the great Patriot Mike Lindell and his great American company, go to MyPillow.com. You can find all sorts of things on the MyPillow.com website on sale for low, low prices, as much as 66% off the retail price. All you have to do is enter reasonable as the promo code and you will be in a world of sales. So if you want to stock up like me, you get the mattress pad, you get the Giza dream sheets, you get some my pillows, just various sizes. And then your whole house is just so comfortable. You just can lay down everywhere. Go to mypillow.com, promo code reasonable, and you'll even get a free gift with your purchase. And everybody likes free gifts. Now, speaking of Mike Lindell, Carrie Lake announced on the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show yesterday that she is filing an emergency injunction in Arizona to eliminate the voting machines from all future Arizona elections. The very fraudulent voting machines could if the judge decides in her favor, be done for in Arizona. And that would be the first domino to fall with the machines. Now, I have it on what I consider to be exceptionally good information that Mike Lindell's information, his data on the election theft in 2020, the machine data, the PCAPs, will be part of Kerry Lake's filing for emergency injunction. And I was hoping to get my hands on that lawsuit last night so I could read it and do the whole notes thing and then tell you all about it. But hopefully that will be out today and then I'll get it and we'll just do all that tomorrow. And there's plenty going on today. But if Mike Lindell's information is in that lawsuit, then we have entered a new phase of the game. That means 
the machine data has been prepared in a way that it is now able to be presented to the courts. They will have extensive expert testimony backing up the legitimacy of the data and what the data shows. And assuming the case will be made public, then that evidence of extensive and extraordinary election fraud in coordination with other countries around the world, that'll just be all right out there. And everybody can stop doubting Mike Lindell at that point. Because Mike Lindell would have withstood 15 months of nonstop media attacks, nonstop derision. He just kept his nose down and kept working and kept proclaiming the truth. Personally, I think it's been a beautiful thing to watch. Now, I know people don't like his voice and because they don't like his voice and they don't like the way he talks, they assume that he doesn't have anything to say. Like Mike Lindell is just some dolt with all these crazy dreams, but also meets with Donald Trump every few weeks or every couple of months. Sure, guys, that's probably what it is. He's just faking. It's a LARP. It's all a ruse. Now, to be fair, there have been a few false starts. Lindell has said that certain pieces of information would become publicly available. We all thought that he was going to be filing his quo warranto case at the Supreme Court before Thanksgiving. Obviously, that didn't happen. It was a strategic delay as far as the information I have goes. And now we can see what it all was for. The emergency injunction may well be the best way to go about this. Because if the courts side with Kerry Lake and they eliminate voting machines from Arizona, how does the media report that in any way that could avoid making it obvious that the election in 2020 was completely stolen? I don't think it's possible. I guess we'll see. Maybe they got something crazy up their sleeves. But if they have to report that the voting machines are finished in Arizona because the voting machines are an undeniable source of fraud and exploitation, well, that doesn't speak too well of the voting machines around the rest of the country. So we'll have to see what happens. And I'm sure there are plenty of legal tricks that they're going to play. They'll appeal things. They'll do all sorts of things. But what we really need is that headline that blasts out everywhere. There are no more machines in Arizona. That is an unavoidable piece of reality. The central narrative will have to incorporate that in some way. And that sort of information is the sort of information that changes people's minds in an instant. They can no longer say, oh, that machine thing, that's so stupid. Everybody knows the machines are very safe and secure. There was no hacking. There was no foreign interference. The machines didn't flip votes. That's not what they do. There were audits. They did risk-limiting audits. They did three audits in Georgia. They did audits in Arizona. They did recounts. The machines are just fine. Yeah. Okay, commie. Go with that. So we'll come back to the subject of Mike Lindell, hopefully tomorrow. But let's spend some time talking about tech and media and entertainment because there's so much going on. And to start off, I would like to share this beautiful article 
today from CNN and their intrepid reporters, Oliver Darcy and Brian Stelter, who looks like a bald animatronic character at Chuck E. Cheese. CNN Plus will shut down at the end of April. And it is fantastic that Darcy and Stelter have to be the ones publishing this article. I wonder if they had some intern write it and then just slapped Stelter's name on there at the end. CNN Plus, the streaming service that was hyped as one of the most significant developments in the history of CNN, will shut down on April 30th, just one month after it launched. Three weeks is how long they made it. They made it like three days and then they just gave it to everybody that has HBO Max for free. They were like, hey, we'll just uh, we'll just throw CNN in with this. But did that get people watching? Nah, sure didn't. CNN Plus customers will receive prorated refunds of subscription fees. I wonder if they were selling like five-year plans. Someone just gives them $1,000 at one time and they're like, yeah, I need a lot of CNN Plus in my life. I'm going to get to the end of CNN Plus. I'm going to make sure there's not a single second of CNN Plus I haven't watched. The decision was made by new management after CNN's former parent company, Warner Media, merged with Discovery to form Warner Brothers Discovery earlier this month. The prior management team's vision for CNN Plus runs counter to Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslov's plan to house all of the company's brands under one streaming service. Some CNN Plus programming may eventually live on through that service. Other programming will shift to CNN's main television network. And man, I hope that they publish a very thorough inventory so that we can know exactly where to get all of this very important CNN programming. In a complex streaming market, consumers want simplicity and an all-in service which provides a better experience and more value than standalone offerings. And for the company, a more sustainable business model to drive our future investments in great journalism and storytelling, Discovery's streaming boss, J.B. Perrette, said in a statement. And hey, J.B., that's pretty good spin. I mean, maybe you're right. Everybody loves some when something is streamlined. But even once you streamline it, what are you going to do? Just literally eliminate everything from CNN Plus and just say, yeah, we streamlined CNN Plus They didn't make it. They didn't make the cut. I mean, that's basically what you have to do. The market already decided to streamline CNN Plus. No one watched. We have very exciting opportunities ahead in the streaming space. And CNN, one of the world's premier reputational assets, will play an important role there, Perrette said. (laughs) CNN. (laughs) The most trusted name in reputational assets. Perrette and incoming CEO Chris Licht notified staffers of the decision in a meeting on Thursday afternoon. Licht bluntly told employees it was a uniquely shitty situation. Amazing. Hundreds of CNN plus staffers may lose their jobs. And that's very sad. You never like when people lose jobs. But hey, you did go all in on selling communist propaganda. So how long did you expect to have jobs for? 
it's funny that they've got like hundreds of interns just running around the office thinking one day I can be Brianna Keeler or Don Lemon or Brian Stelter. When in reality, they're all about to be replaced by robots. Licht said in an internal memo that all CNN Plus employees will continue to be paid and receive benefits for the next 90 days to explore opportunities at CNN, CNN Digital, and elsewhere in the Warner Brothers Discovery family. Staffers who aren't absorbed elsewhere in the company will receive a minimum of six months of severance, he said. Well, that is awfully generous. Licht said in a town hall style meeting with staffers that this was an incredibly successful launch, but simply incompatible with the newly merged company's plans. It is not your fault that you had the rug pulled out from underneath you, he said, as he vowed to minimize the impacts to staff. And that's probably true. It's not their fault. It's the fault of all of the terrible programming and all of the terrible people involved with CNN for the last decade that destroyed CNN, making CNN totally unviable no matter how you try to sell it to people. Oh, hey, no one wants to watch CNN for free? Well, let me see if I can't interest you in paying for it instead. During the town hall? Perrette expressed some frustration with the prior leadership of CNN, which was led by Jeff Zucker until February, and Warner Media, which was led by Jason Kalar until early April. Some of this was unavoidable, he said, but prior leadership decided to just keep going with the planned March launch of CNN Plus despite the impending merger, he said. The executive vice president in charge of CNN Plus and all of CNN's digital businesses, Andrew Morse, who worked closely with Kalar and Zucker, will depart the company after a transition period. Life is so unfair. Licht said in the town hall that he wanted Morse to stay, but respected the decision. Alex McCallum, the head of product and general manager of CNN Plus, will run CNN Digital and work with Licht quote, to determine a leadership strategy going forward, the company said in a press release. The decision to shut down CNN Plus just weeks after it launched marked a stunning end to the streaming news service. Executives had touted the application as the most significant launch since Ted Turner founded CNN in 1980. Well, that was just marketing. That was just what they told all of us. This is the most significant thing to happen at CNN in 42 years. And three weeks later, the whole thing went belly up. CNN had poured hundreds of millions of dollars into the new streaming app and lured top talent from other networks for it, including Casey Hunt from NBC and Chris Wallace from Fox News. <laughs> it's going to be so sad to see them without a show on CNN+. Plus. Not that anyone saw them with the show on CNN Plus, but, you know, still very, very sad. The streaming service featured hours of daily live programming and weekly shows. That programming will continue to stream through the end of the month. They've got nine days left. Gosh, it's going to be so worth it. So let's skip past the conversation about the business model and streaming services and the future of technology and how this particular product might just not fit. I mean, all of that is marketing. All of that is bullshit. That's public relations. 
No one was watching CNN Plus. If people loved the programming on CNN Plus, CNN Plus would have remained viable despite the future of technology and streaming services. They could have easily streamlined it with whatever product direction they choose to go in, but no one wants it. That's why it's over. There are other solutions if the problem they describe is the real problem. The real problem is no one wants to watch it. And they knew that before they started the service, they would have to know that this isn't the field of dreams. This isn't if you build it, they will come. This is Don Lemon trying to get a Fire Island bartender to smell his fingers. Hey, CNN, you really misread your audience. Now, Donald Trump responded to all of this today with a brief statement. He said, congratulations to CNN Plus on their decision to immediately fold for a lack of ratings or viewers in any way, shape or form. It was like an empty desert out there, despite spending hundreds of millions of dollars and the hiring of low rated Chris Wallace, a man who tried so hard to be his father, Mike, but lacked the talent and whatever else is necessary to be a star. In any event, it's just one more piece of CNN and fake news that we don't have to bother with anymore. And for all those who are like, well, that's kind of petty of Trump. Really? What would you do? If a massive media corporation tried to destroy your life for six straight years based on lies and slander and innuendo. Now, let's advance slightly on our pleasant stroll through the collapse of modern woke media. Yesterday, it was announced that the Obamas and Spotify will discontinue their podcasting relationship. And I know what you're thinking. The Obamas had a podcasting relationship with Spotify. Yes. And so did the Clintons for that matter. Spotify gave all sorts of deals to all sorts of communists. And I have long said that when these things happen, it is almost exactly like a book deal. They funnel a whole bunch of money to one of the communists who needs a payoff And then they pretend to produce some content that might someday be able to make up for that extraordinary expenditure. We're talking about over a hundred million dollars. And the Obama's very real production company was going to empower new diverse voices in the podcasting space. Now, it's funny when you try to look up this story about the the deal between the Obamas and Spotify ending. Some of the headlines say the Obamas higher ground chooses not to continue their deal with Spotify. And then other articles say Spotify has chosen not to continue the deal with the Obamas. It really doesn't matter which direction it goes. But this is from Fox. Spotify declines to renew Obama's podcast contract. Spotify is reportedly showing the Obamas the door. Bloomberg News reported on Wednesday that Higher Ground, the production company run by former President Barack Obama and former First Lady Michelle Obama, is seeking a multi-million dollar deal elsewhere as their deal with Spotify expires this year, according to sources. Among the potential partners Higher Ground is negotiating with are Amazon's Audible and iHeartMedia. 
Sources tell Bloomberg News the Obamas are hoping to find their new home within the coming weeks. However, Bloomberg News indicated that the move was not the former president's choice. It has talked with multiple big networks, including Spotify, but the Swedish streaming giant declined to make an offer, according to three sources familiar with the discussions, Bloomberg News wrote. Spotify did not immediately respond to Fox News' request for comment. Higher Grounds previously struck a deal with Spotify in 2019, releasing podcasts like the Michelle Obama podcast and the Barack Obama Bruce Springsteen program, Renegades, born in the USA. But as Bloomberg News reported, both have clashed with each other with Spotify. This is a terrible sentence, hoping that the former president and former first lady would appear more in the podcast while the production company felt releasing its podcast only on Spotify limited its audience. Well, let's think about that for a second. Joe Rogan produces podcasts multiple times a week and they are exclusive to Spotify and he has the biggest media show in the world. It's much bigger than every other podcast, and it's much bigger than all of the cable news shows. In fact, you can go into primetime, add all the viewers up across all the cable networks, and it still doesn't equal every single episode of Joe Rogan. So the Obamas might not be quite right there. Higher Ground is seeking a deal that will allow it to produce several shows and release them on multiple platforms at the same time. This could explain iHeart's interest, given that it hasn't historically relied on an exclusive strategy for its podcasts. This is one reason why some potential bidders like Spotify have bowed out. A widely released show will end up on their service anyway. Companies like Spotify and Amazon have pursued exclusive rights to promote their own services, Bloomberg News wrote. The report indicated that a hurdle the Obamas may face is their narrow commitment to each appearing in an eight-episode podcast, which, for some bidders, isn't enough of a commitment to justify a deal like other popular podcast titles that go beyond limited series. So the Obama's production company, Higher Ground, initially signed with Netflix for $50 million and then signed an exclusive deal with Spotify for something like $100 million, although it's hard to locate that exact information and it has been reported as low as $25 million, but it's a lot. Netflix and then Spotify both paying Higher Ground, the Obama's production company, quote unquote, production company, very, very serious company, I'm sure. They get massive upfront payments, that's $75 million to the production company, and they've made almost no content and certainly not any content that people watch and certainly not any content that makes new people sign up for their services. So how in the world are numbers like that justifiable from a business point of view? They're not. There's no way to justify that expense on the Obamas. And if that's true, then something else has to be going on. So their contract ends and they're not going to re-up their contract. They're going to get a new payoff somewhere else. And they'll just run the whole thing again. Give us $50 million. Give us $100 million. Give us $200 million. You'll be able to say you're in business with the Obamas. 
And then over the next few years, the Obamas will not produce any content that anyone wants to watch. Their contract will expire and they'll still have the tens of millions of dollars that they were paid up front. It's beautiful. It's just like a book publishing contract. We talked a bunch about Andrew Cuomo's publishing contract. Remember his leadership book that he wrote during COVID? about the great job he was doing in New York, making sure that New York only had the second highest death rate in the entire world. And there was all the hype. They used to have him on television every day. Molly Jong Fast and a bunch of the other millennial bloggers at the Daily Beast and the New York Times. They used to call themselves Cuomo sexuals. They just loved Andrew Cuomo. They couldn't get enough. I mean, sure, he's corrupt and sure, he's a creep. And yes, he made a deal with the nursing homes and then set out killing the elderly by putting sick patients into the nursing homes. But he was the strong leader that the millennial bloggers needed to follow. They have to have a dad somewhere because they're busy pretending their mom is Lady Gaga. They need someone with some gravitas. Homosexual. That solves everything. Well, he sold about 5,000 copies of his book. Did he give back his three or four million dollar advance? Of course not. And then we had Hunter Biden's book. That book was written by a guy named Drew Jubera. Hunter Biden had a ghostwriter. Hunter Biden can't write books. Hunter Biden can't even write text messages. And he had something like a two million dollar advance. And in the first few weeks, of his book's release, he sold like 12,000 copies. So there's absolutely no connection in the market to what these people are being paid up front compared to what the company actually makes selling their product. So something else has to be going on. Now, I've been talking about the book publishing stuff a bit with a friend of mine. He asked me about it the other day and I was like, dude, all you got to do is dig on it this way, right? Figure out who the politician is. Figure out what their publishing company is. See who owns the publishing company. Chances are it's going to be someone in the global communist movement. And it turns out he found some interesting answers. He actually sent me the uh, Wikipedia entry on Bernie Sanders publisher. You remember Bernie Sanders. He was a communist for 60 years. And then all of a sudden, after he decided to suck it up and take it after Hillary Clinton turned on the election fraud machines in the 2016 primary. Well, after that, he got a whole lot of money. He got like $5 million, bought a couple of extra houses, told everybody on the debate stage that it was from his book deal. When you sell a lot of books, you get a lot of money because his movement was so committed to Bernie Sanders. They were so supportive that they went out and bought Bernie Sanders book so that they could make Bernie rich. He's already committed his entire life to communism. So now he gets to be rich. That's how it works. Don't you see? If you're a communist, the more you support the state, the more you rise. You can continue rising as long as you continue to support the state. And Bernie Sanders did his duty. By allowing election fraud in the Democrat primaries, he did it again in 2020. 
He loves doing it because that's how he gets paid. No one actually wants to see Bernie Sanders be a candidate for president. That's clown shit. If anyone actually went after Bernie Sanders for his socialism and his communism, he'd be done in two seconds. He doesn't have the pull in the grander global communist organizational structure that the Clintons and Obamas do. So he gets a few million bucks. He gets to buy a lake house somewhere, and then he just needs to shut up forever. So Bernie Sanders publishes his book with Macmillan, pretty large publishing house. And my friend's digging on all this, and he sends me this yesterday. Macmillan is actually owned by a group called the Holtzbrink Publishing Group. And they are a privately held, this is according to Wikipedia, by the way, a privately held German company based in Stuttgart, which owns publishing companies worldwide. Through Macmillan Publishers, it is one of the big five English language publishing companies. In 2015, it merged most of its Macmillan Science and Education unit including Nature Publishing Group, with Springer Science and Business Media creating the company Springer Nature. Holtzbrink owns 53% of the combined company. Okay, well, let's go down at history. The history of Georg von Holtzbrink's publishing activities during the Nazi years, 1933 to 1945, has been controversial. After World War II, Georg von Holtzbrink, a former member of the Nazi party, reestablished a group in 1948, beginning as a German book club. And so, hey, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. But the point here is, book deals are money laundering for politicians. Politicians don't sell enough books to even come close to earning back their advances. That is how authors get paid. They get the advance and then they have to sell enough books to earn back that advance and then they profit after that. Now, maybe Barack Obama and maybe Michelle Obama could sell enough books to earn back a couple million dollar advance. Maybe. And I'm talking about like five years ago, 10 years ago. They probably could have done it then. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Obama's famous biography, like songs about my father or whatever it was called, if that thing earned back its advance, I could believe that. But Bernie Sanders doesn't and Andrew Cuomo doesn't and Hunter Biden doesn't and all of these politicians, they don't earn back their advances, just like the Obamas didn't earn back their Netflix deal or their Spotify deal. And despite the terrible business venture that has the same results every time, these people continue to get these big deals because it's money laundering. Now, let's jump back just a couple of steps to the middle of August in 2018. Here is a headline from Yahoo Finance and The Motley Fool. Soros is buying Spotify and Pandora. Should you? Hedge funds are filing their second quarter moves this week, and it seems as if George Soros has a thing for streaming music platforms. Spotify and Pandora were among the largest new purchases for Soros fund management this past quarter, accounting for $122.6 million and $56.1 million of the widely watched hedge fund Titans assets. So in one quarter of 2018, George Soros bought $180 million worth of Spotify and Pandora. 
So that's pretty interesting, huh? Let's move on to Netflix. Netflix stock crash. Growth story is donezo for now. As analysts slash outlooks. This is from Forbes yesterday. After plunging over 35% following the company's first subscriber loss in over a decade, shares of streaming giant Netflix were hit with a wave of downgrades from Wall Street analysts on Wednesday, with the majority of experts warning investors not to buy the dip as Netflix's plan to revive subscriber growth is likely to take years. And this Forbes article is written like an Axios article. It's not complete sentences. It's just bullet points because people can't read now. Shares of Netflix plummeted over 35% on Wednesday morning after the company reported that it lost subscribers last quarter for the first time in over a decade, which it blamed on password sharing and increased competition from rival streaming services. (laughs) Okay, guys. Analysts have rushed to downgrade Netflix in the aftermath of the company's lackluster first quarter earnings report, with at least 10 different Wall Street firms slashing their price targets for the stock. Bank of America double downgraded the stock and reduced its share price target to $300 from 605, while several other firms also slashed estimates by more than half, including JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, and Pivotal. While some analysts see promise in Netflix's plans to crack down on password sharing, as well as introduce a cheaper advertising supported subscription tier, they warned that implementation is still years away. Although these plans to combat rapidly disappearing growth have merit by Netflix's own admission, there won't be any noticeable impact until 2024, which is a long time to wait on what is now a show me story, wrote Bank of America's Nat Schindler, adding it will take a while for investors to believe Netflix can return to growth. There's not much to get excited about over the next few months beyond the new, much lower stock price, according to J.P. Morgan's Doug Anmuth, while Wells Fargo analyst Stephen Cahal said Netflix's growth narrative is officially, quote, donezo for now. So Netflix is in a total freefall. They have institutional investors dropping out, and they basically have no plan on how to fix this. Their plan seems to be hoping that new subscribers just come back. Hey, Netflix, there's no chance that's going to happen. Why would anyone do that? People are already familiar with the Netflix product. You're losing subscribers. That means people that used to purchase the product no longer want to purchase the product because the product isn't worth what they pay for it. And that is Obviously true because Netflix's programming by and large is absolutely horrendous. All they care about is creating television shows that have major hooks at the end of each episode so that people will want to begin the next episode. Their entire model is binge watching and they literally build their shows specifically to make them bingeable. They pay out enormous upfront costs to secure IP and to secure talent. And then by and large, the movies and television shows that they have purchased and produced are not well respected by pretty much anyone. I mean, what has Netflix ever had? House of Cards, Ozark. And I'm sure that I am missing some fairly obvious ones here. And you can be like, oh, dude, you forgot about that. Yeah, I know I forgot about it. Okay. But beyond that, it's like 
the Obamas, some propaganda documentaries, and then TV shows for dorks and teenagers and sad millennial single women. Netflix has become mostly about producing woke content that pushes the progressive agenda forward, the race agenda, the gender agenda. That is what they are concerned with, not actually getting content that people want to watch. And all of this actually comes with Susan Rice on the board of Netflix. She signed up for like $25 million or $45 million. That information is rather hard to come by now, too. But Susan Rice spends her days in the basement with Barack Obama, probably taking shifts on who is currently controlling Joe Biden. What did Susan Rice ever bring to the table for Netflix? What did her position on the board do to advance that company? Did Netflix shareholders reap the rewards of Susan Rice's presence on the board of Netflix? Did that move and the extreme payoff that came with it? Did that advance the position of their portfolio? Of course not, because Susan Rice didn't do anything to make the company more valuable or more attractive to a consumer base. So what was all the money for? And let's take another blast from the past. This is from 2015 on thestreet.com. Is George Soros right to bet so heavily on Netflix? Video streaming service Netflix's third quarter earnings report was a disappointment. The company added fewer than expected U.S. subscribers in the quarter, delivering seven cents per share against analysts' expectations of eight cents. But investors don't seem to be scared. The stock has risen over 20% in the last month. In fact, the stock has seen a 148% upswing over 2015 and at $126 is within spitting distance from its all-time high of more than $130. Renowned investor George Soros and other hedge funds have embraced the Netflix story. This month, Soros reported that he owned 317,534 Netflix shares worth $32.79 million. Investment firms Viking Global and Renaissance Technologies also grabbed fresh stakes in the company. Should you follow Soros's lead? If you're an investor with an eye on long-term wealth building, Netflix appears to be a perfect core holding. And then we can jump down a little further in this article. China is a particularly hot target for many American players, and Netflix is no exception. Bear in mind, a struggling stock market may not impact a company such as Netflix. China will probably zoom ahead of North America in mobile data usage within the next five years, meaning an insatiable appetite for video content. At a forward price-to-earnings ratio of 476.31, Netflix a very high valuation. So is George Soros right to place such a large bet on the company? Should you bite too? Well, keep in mind that Netflix has always had the reputation of an expensive valuation and it eventually delivered on expectations. What's more, history has shown that it's unwise to bet against Soros, who is worth $27.3 billion and not because he makes bad bets. The recent Netflix stakes of other big investment firms only confirm his judgment. 
Netflix is a fast moving dynamic company with tremendous possibility as the company keeps making inroads into vibrant new markets and the demand for its services continues to rise. You should follow Soros's lead on this stock, which makes a great holding for any long term retirement portfolio. And while I was digging for some of this, there are a bunch of articles about former Obama staffers and former Obama admin officials going on to, let's say, fruitful careers in very popular companies. His former press secretary, Jay Carney, became a VP at Amazon. His spokesperson, Robert Gibbs, joined McDonald's to do PR. Lisa Jackson, who was at Obama's EPA, became an executive at Apple. Eric Holder joined Uber and Airbnb. And then, of course, you've got Susan Rice at Netflix and the Obamas at Netflix and Spotify and who knows how many other places. I mean, you can't just buy $15 million homes on the coast knowing that that coast is going to disappear and your house is going to be completely underwater in nine years on a senator's salary and a president's salary. But we just get told, hey, Obama is the most popular man to ever live. So, of course, he's able to make money in a lot of different ways. And to some extent, that's true. There are enough child-brained communists in this country who will buy absolutely anything Obama wants to sell. But who in the world respects the rest of them enough to give them all this money and all these important roles at very prestigious companies? And it's crazy, isn't it, that all of these corporations just walk in lockstep supporting the same political agendas? Gosh, what a world. And while we're on the subject generally of George Soros, this is from Investopedia in June of 2019. George Soros adds Facebook, Apple, Twitter. Billionaire George Soros's family office, Soros Fund Management, made some significant changes to its holdings in Q2 of this year, according to a 13F filing submitted to the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Soros added Facebook, Apple and Twitter during the three month period ending June 30th. At the same time, the billionaire's office trimmed its positions in Amazon and Alphabet. One of the most notable shifts in Soros's holdings for the last quarter was a significant increase in the fund's investment in BlackRock, the largest asset management firm in the world. Soros boosted his position by about 60% with a total of 12,983 shares at the end of the second quarter. BlackRock oversees about $6 trillion in total assets. That Soros made purchases of some of the most popular social media companies in the world is noteworthy, but not especially surprising. Facebook, Apple, and Twitter are all highly prominent stocks, which routinely appear in the portfolios of top hedge funds across the country. Soros bought more than 159,000 shares of Facebook, valued at close to $31 million. Notably, Soros also invested heavily in the music streaming industry in the most recent quarter, too. Soros Fund Management bought more than 728,000 shares of Spotify Technology SA, currently valued at more than $122 million, and we discussed that just earlier, and 7.12 million shares of Pandora, worth just over $56 million. 
Since its initial public offering, Spotify has performed solidly while Pandora climbed nearly 60% in the second quarter. Indeed, Spotify may have been Soros's standout bet in the period as it was his fourth largest position by the end of Q2. So these guys, I mean, just investment geniuses. Isn't it incredible? They just go all in on the streaming services and then somehow the Obamas and the Susan Rices of the world get massive contracts. They fail to produce any product that could justify their contract in any way. And no one says a word. They just continue making deals with these people. And so you have to think at some point, what really is the business model here? Does Netflix sell subscriptions? Well, yes, but they also fund tons of products that can never possibly sell enough subscriptions to make it worth it. They're not advertising. So what exactly are they doing? Same thing with Spotify. Same thing with these book contracts. And does anyone really believe that CNN plus was going to somehow make back a few hundred million dollar investment? My understanding is they put $300 million plus into CNN plus and it flopped three weeks later. So what are they selling? Are they selling user data? Are they collecting user data and then selling that to advertisers? Maybe on some level, but certainly Netflix is not the best way to go about that. And Spotify is not the best way to go about that. I mean, you got Facebook for crying out loud. Facebook gets all of a user's data, everything they do, everything they do. If you are on Facebook, you are being tracked in every single one of your behaviors and every single one of them is being monetized. Those behaviors are also used to refine the algorithm to make a perfect profile of who you are and how you can be influenced. And then the algorithm responds to influence you in exactly the ways that benefit Facebook and benefit the larger agenda of which Facebook is a part. And speaking of tech and media and entertainment companies where something much different than what we see is actually going on behind the scenes. Let's see where we are on the Elon Musk and Twitter saga. This is from Fox Business Today. Elon Musk exploring Twitter tender offer lines up $46.5 billion in financing commitments for takeover bid. Elon Musk poked Twitter on Thursday as he awaits an official decision on whether the company will accept or reject his takeover offer. Now he is exploring whether to commence a tender offer to acquire all outstanding shares of Twitter's common stock, citing the board's lack of response to his $54.20 per share offer to take the social media giant private. The announcement, which was revealed in an updated filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission on Thursday, also notes that Musk has received commitments of approximately $46.5 billion to help finance a potential deal. The funding includes roughly $21 billion in equity financing and around $25.5 billion in debt financing through Morgan Stanley Senior Funding and other firms, including Bank of America, Mizuho Bank, Barclays, MUFG, Societe Generale, and BNP Paribas. 
The filing emphasizes that Musk has not decided on whether he will make a tender offer and that he may take other steps to further his proposal. A Twitter spokesperson told Fox Business that the company is in receipt of the updated non-binding proposal from Musk. As previously announced and communicated to Mr. Musk directly, the board is committed to conducting a careful, comprehensive and deliberate review to determine the course of action that it believes is in the best interest of the company and all Twitter stockholders, the spokesperson added. And so this is just another step forward in the narrative. We obviously do not know where this is going, though people have made really interesting guesses, including a decentralization model that could make censorship on Twitter absolutely impossible. Now, behind the scenes, there are obviously pretty powerful forces trying to stop Elon Musk from acquiring the company and taking it private and opening it up as a speech platform, a digital public square. At least if Elon Musk is to be believed, that seems to be where we are. But the board is clearly not acting in the interest of its shareholders, which means there's something else going on. And now finally, in the world of entertainment titans, let's see what's happening with Disney. This is from The Hill yesterday. Explained DeSantis's effort to end Disney's self-government power. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is trying to strip Walt Disney World, the most magical place on earth, of its self-government power amid an ongoing battle with the state's biggest sources of revenue. DeSantis announced Tuesday he will convene a special legislative session to terminate, quote, all special districts that were enacted in Florida prior to 1968, end quote, which includes the Reedy Creek Improvement District, a special taxing district that allows Walt Disney World to oversee its property as a quasi-governmental agency. The move is a new level in DeSantis's fight against the tourism giant following Disney's opposition of what critics call Florida's don't say gay law which limits how Florida educators can discuss gender identity and sexual orientation in kindergarten through third grade. And so naturally, The Hill being a mainstream outlet, a propaganda outlet, they have to misdescribe things on purpose. Obviously, the law in Florida was not about don't say gay. And it's incredible that these publications are even referencing that anymore at this point. Everybody already knows what it's about. Parents don't want their children being taught about alternative sexual lifestyles in first grade. And that is entirely normal. It has nothing to do with homophobia. And it's also amusing that they refer to Disney only as a tourism giant, as if that's the only part of Disney's business that matters. Disney has self-governed itself. Well, that's redundant. Congratulations, adult writer. For more than 50 years, in 1967, the Florida State Legislature created the Reedy Creek Improvement District, which acts with the same authority and responsibility as a county government. According to historical documents, the government created two municipalities within RCID, Bay Lake and Reedy Creek, later named Lake Buena Vista, nestled between Orange and Osceola counties. 
Since Walt Disney World is the primary landowner of RCID, it is solely responsible for paying the cost of providing municipal services like power, water, roads, and fire protection. Walt Disney pushed for the creation of this district since the nearest power and water lines were 10 to 15 miles away. With this special status, Disney was able to build roads, buildings, and provide services without asking for permission of a county government. Residents of Orange and Osceola counties do not pay taxes for these services unless they are residents of the district. DeSantis asserted in his proclamation, that the Florida Constitution prohibits special laws granting privileges to private corporations and that, quote, it is necessary to review such independent special districts to ensure that they are appropriately serving the public interest. State Rep. Randy Fine submitted a bill to the House and State Senator Jennifer Bradley submitted a bill to the Florida Senate, which passed Wednesday. The bill would dissolve RCID and five other special districts that have not been recodified by the legislature as required by law. And the House is now past that, too. So I think it's just going to DeSantis for a signature unless I'm missing something. He will certainly sign it. And that will be the end of Disney's special privilege. According to the bill. The districts would be dissolved as of June 1st, 2023. However, they could reapply to be recognized as a special district again. Disney is a guest in Florida, Fine tweeted Tuesday, saying that Disney is exempt from laws faced by regular Floridians. Today, we remind them. But dissolving RCID might not be so easy. According to a state statute, once the Senate and House pass the bill with the governor's signature, a majority of the district homeowners would have to vote in favor of dissolving the district. And since most people who live in RCID are employed by Disney, that scenario seems unlikely. They're doing this because the government has a glass jar. And unfortunately, the members of the legislature who represent the majority, they are relenting to him having a very public and costly temper tantrum. State Rep. Mike Grieco told The Hill in an interview. And this article is so sloppily written. I've read past a bunch of it, trust me. But I think that they must be referring specifically to the governor, not the government. It sounds like they are referring directly to DeSantis. But the idea that this is some temper tantrum, some punishment for Disney is insane. It's crazy that Disney has this in the first place. I didn't know about it until very recently. I'm guessing most of you didn't know about it until very recently either. But there's no reason a corporation should have its own town, its own county, with its own government, its own law enforcement, its own taxation. It sounds more like a company town. And it seems sort of like what they have in communist China, where the people actually live at the factory, at the plant. And there are little stores where they can purchase the things they need, but their lives are almost completely 24 hours a day given over to the corporation. Democrats fear that if DeSantis is successful in removing Disney's special status, taxpayers in Orange and Osceola counties would be left on the hook for an enormous amount of debt. Oh, I get it. Now Democrats fear debt for the taxpayer. All Democrats do is create debt for taxpayers. 
According to the RCID's annual financial report for 2021, it carries a debt of nearly a billion dollars. As required by Florida law, all that debt would be assumed by Orange and Osceola counties. So this is not a supposition. This is not conjecture. This is Florida law that says those 1.7 million people are going to have to pick up this bill, Senate Minority Leader Gary Farmer said. According to farmers assessments, each family in Orange and Osceola counties would likely pay upwards of $2,200 if the counties assumed the debt. Taxpayers would also become responsible for items Disney currently pays for, like road improvements and other mandatory public services. Battles between taxpayers and county governments would become more likely, like the outrage seen when Orange County approved a controversial $125 million road deal with Orlando's Universal Studios. If they take Reedy Creek away, that responsibility is going to go to a government, State Senator Linda Stewart told the Orlando Sentinel. And the government's not going to get reimbursed for what they have to pick up and take care of. Orange County Comptroller Phil Diamond told Florida's News 6 that they were monitoring the situation because it would have a very big impact on taxpayers. And just notice in this article from The Hill what they're doing here, right? Ron DeSantis wants to hurt the most magical place on earth. He wants to do it because Disney stood up against the very evil don't say gay bill. So Ron DeSantis is a big meanie. His plan is going to pass, but it might not work. And if it does work, well, that's going to be very bad for the taxpayers immediately. I mean, they're not arguing that it's going to be bad for the taxpayers in the long term. Yeah, they might have to fund roads and bridges like they do for all other roads and bridges and infrastructure and power lines and all that. But that's very, very scary. And then the Hill just pops in five or six quotes about how bad this will be from various Democrats. DeSantis said that Disney alienated a lot of people as a result of its opposition to the so-called don't say gay law after Disney CEO Bob Chappick announced the company would pause political donations. Chappick received backlash from his employees for not immediately criticizing the bill when it was first introduced with some staging walkouts. It is clear that this is not just an issue about a bill in Florida, but instead yet another challenge to basic human rights. You need me to be a stronger ally in the fight for equal rights. And I let you down. Chappick said, I am sorry. Besides the battle between Chappick and DeSantis, Democrat state rep Greco accused Republicans of doing this now because they are trying to distract from the criticism of the newly drawn congressional map. Republicans in Florida don't care about that criticism at all. DeSantis is out front taking and bearing all the brunt of this attack about the congressional maps. Congressional Republicans in Florida don't care. They're not backing down. They're not trying to create a distraction. Their supporters are happy about what Republicans are doing with the congressional maps, just as all the communists are happy that the Democrats are abusing congressional maps in New York and California and every other place that they can possibly control them. They are trying to get as many possible Democrat districts as they can because they know that the Republicans are going to wipe them out in the fall. Every place Democrats can gerrymander another way into election fraud working for the November 2022 election, that's what they're going for. 
It's always funny when Democrats accuse Republicans of staging events to distract from what's really going on, as if the Republicans have that as their main strategy. Ridiculous. DeSantis initially called for the special legislative session to approve his congressional map passed by the Senate Wednesday, which has been denounced by black lawmakers for being overtly racist since it would reduce the number of districts where black voters are a plurality. They are blatantly attempting to eliminate two or more black representative districts, Greco said. They were catching so much crap for it, annihilated. So these guys are not stupid. It's deflection. But Republicans are defending the measure as one to stand up to Disney's wokeness. Look, there's policy disputes, and that's fine, DeSantis said on Fox News. But when you're trying to impose a woke ideology on our state, we view that as a significant threat. Shamefully, Disney betrayed us and the corporation that Walt Disney started, which was a beacon of family values, has now been perverted by a woke mob of liberal extremists into a laboratory of gender identity social experimentation, state rep Jackie Toledo said. The Hill reached out to Disney's legal team for additional comments, and I guess they didn't get any. But Disney basically has its own little state that's not part of Florida. Kind of like Washington, D.C. is not part of the United States or Vatican City is not part of Italy. And do these places have a good record on upholding the laws that everyone else must follow? Well, no, you don't really need to look any further than the Vatican's handling of child sex crimes to understand that. Oh, you're going to govern yourselves. Got it. That's always good, man. It would be awfully bad. If we found out anything about Disney and child sex crimes, I mean, Disney is one of the creepiest companies on the entire face of the planet, but we got to assume everything that happens within their little conclave is totally above board. Or maybe just maybe we might find out that like CNN, Spotify, Netflix, and Twitter Disney has something else going on behind the scenes. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!